been reading and watching generally we get started there yeah man sure I, well i'll start i've been reading uh american sniper that book by i'm sure you guys all know that all the americans would know what i'm talking about right what's that guy's name chris yeah i can't, I can't remember his bradley name, cooper they, they made it into a movie and stuff yeah bradley cooper uh was in the movie yeah yeah so that's that's an interesting thing i mean i don't i don't normally read stuff like that but i found myself down at our family cabin one weekend and forgot my book so i found that just picked it up and it's actually pretty cool but not something i normally would read but uh you know it talks about the war and and how he's uh it's very interesting because he's he's like fueled by the war it's like he's into it man he's not he likes it. Like he enjoys <laughs> killing people. And so it's so weird to, uh, to read that because he's like, he's a, he's a good person. You can tell that. And he has virtues, but then the way he, he talks about war sometimes and killing and, and how it's almost like nonchalant, how he, how he talks about these things. It's a, uh, it's very interesting, but it's, I don't know. It's different. It's like, honestly though, it's absorbing. Like I'm, I'm right into the frigging thing. So, oh yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, I've been reading. I tend to swear, just bounce all around, prob- probably too much. But uh, reading in the Good Life this month, we've been reading Awareness by Anthony DeMello. Probably a book that I've listened to more than maybe any other book ever. Yeah, I listened to it quite a bit, walk, walking around and stuff like that. Um, but another one is uh, the myth of of Sisyphus. I swear I wouldn't mind getting your take and chatting a bit about, um, you know, something that comes up like in that book, and it's a. Uh, it's something that comes up in a, in another book that I like. Every time I find the meaning of life, they change it. And it's like the only truly serious philosophical problem, you know, is that of like suicide, whether life is, is worth living. And I swear I never really contemplate that, you know, like from that angle, um, I mean, I generally think about like what, you know, what makes a a good life and all sorts of stuff associated with that. Um, But the whole like meaning of life, the absurdity and stuff like that, that comes up in the existentialists and stuff is, uh, I don't know. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. I love, I love that quote. And I think we've spoken about that before, but the, uh, I think most people have that conundrum, but they don't even realize it. You know, I've, I've, I speak to a lot of people that I meet probably to a, a weird degree sometimes, but I speak to them about uh, children often. And, uh, you get this reoccurring theme, I think with, with people that are, 
in their 20s where they're not sure if they want to have kids. And that is the exact same question as, as the one that you pose is like, is life worth living? It's the same question as is life worth giving? And, and you hear this, you hear this with people that are in their twenties because they, they feel like the world is tragic and there's injustice and there's climate change and there's so many things going wrong and we're headed towards disaster. And it's like, do I want to bring a child into this tragic, tragic life? That's the exact same question as, is life worth living? It's the exact same question as, do I believe life's worth living? And then when you, when you bring in something like suicide, it gets a little bit difficult because to, to do something like that requires, you know, a lot of times just impulse and, and, um, it's not a simple logical thing to say, okay, well, I've deducted that life is not worth living. Therefore I will do this. Like it's, it's, it's a very complicated emotional, uh, uh, situation, but. But yeah, I, I often, I often, uh, as I like to do, <laughs> discuss that with people from that terms of, well, if you don't believe that a child, that you should bring a child into this cruel, tragic world, then what you are saying is that you don't think life is worth living. Because why would you, why would you not give life if you deemed that in the final analysis, it was actually worth it? Yeah, man, never thought about it like that. But before we get too deep into anything, I do have to share what I'm watching. This is my, I like to plug things do for it. people. Um, new season of Alone on the History Channel just started. Fascinating show. If you haven't seen it, they take 10 people, drop them in different locations. Um, in in a similar location, but they're far enough apart with their, where they can't necessarily, um, you know, connect or contact uh, any of the other people participating. And it's whoever survives the longest, you know, wins a half a million dollars. And it's all these uh, really experienced survival people. And it's so fascinating the all, like the different approaches. You know, some people, and it, it's only the first episode, um, but some people focus on procuring food first, some like shelter and like the different approaches on the type of shelter that they build. Um, and like each contestant uh, can bring 10 things um, and they all like obviously there's some similarities in, in terms of what people bring, but also, you know, a lot of differences of what they decide to actually bring, you know, to survive and stuff like that. And when they get there, generally it's in a, um, um, it's in a harsh environment, obviously <clears throat> that they're going to, but generally like the first couple months, it's a little bit warmer. You know, and then uh, like 45 to 60 days into it, generally where they're at, it gets cold, very cold. And uh, so you've got to think about that from the shelter perspective of not only just for how it is in the moment, but, you know, how the weather is going to change and stuff like that. But it, I find it so fascinating. And just the thing of being alone, the psychological challenges that that um you know brings about for 
most people, not not everyone, but yeah, it, it can be a a difficult thing, and sometimes that's the reason that um, some contestants will will tap out. It's essentially it's just like the the solitude of it. It can't quite take. But yeah, I think we I think we underestimate that <laughs> just in general, yeah. like and maybe not everyone. I think extroverts are a bit <clears throat> more tuned into this, but I think sometimes we we feel like we can exist in solitude. But man, that is so much harder than people make it out to be. You think, oh, if I could go away to a cabin in the woods and, you know, just get my food and this and that and read all day, blah, blah, blah. Man, most people can't handle that. I would even say like 99.99% of people would not be able to handle that forever. Like there, there, there's a, there's an element of, of being social that keeps you sane. And when you, when you put yourself in solitude too long, you, you don't have proper feedback. And this, this is kind of like the idea of, uh, you know, in stoicism, the cosmopolitan and the, the, the fact that we all have a piece of divinity um, the idea is we have a piece of it. We don't have it all. So we kind of need each other, right? To, to, to keep us sane and to keep us happy and healthy. Um, so like what I'm curious, what, what do you kind of notice psychologically? Like, do they talk about that in the show or are you just sort of, are you observing that just cause you're interested in that stuff? Yeah, I've been watching it for a while. This is uh, season ten. I'm not sure I've seen all ten seasons, but I've seen quite a quite a few of them. And um, there's no camera crew, no nothing. It is simply the contestants um, that are are filming things. So they're doing these, basically, you know, sharing whatever they're experiencing. And it does seem like some of them in a way, get something from that, you know, cause they're, it, it feels like in a way they're talking to someone, they have this, you know, GoPro type of camera thing that they're talking into, or if they're going to do something, you know, they're taking the time to position the camera where, you know, it has a view. So I, I wonder psychologically that might be different than someone that's Literally, there's no reason to have a camera or do anything like that. Um, so I wonder if that helps a bit or who knows, maybe it hurts a bit because it's like a reminder of, uh, you know, these connections and relationships and all of that. So maybe you're, you know, thinking about others that you're not actually, you know, able to chat with. But yeah, it, it comes through. And I mean, there are some people where it... uh like they really have a tough time. Like they hit a certain point um, where it becomes, you know, very, very tough for them. And they, uh, you know, have this longing to maybe, you know, see friends and family and all of that type of stuff. Wouldn't that feel almost like that Jim Carrey movie where he's in this play universe and they're all, do you, do you know the one yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah, definitely. Do you know the name of it? Um, was it the Truman show? Yeah, that was it. The Truman show. Yeah. Yeah. It would almost feel like that where you're kind of in this world being observed. I don't know how that would, I feel like that would almost be worse than solitude. (laughs) Like you feel like you're a guinea pig. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, completely. But the, the thing of, um, like fear and stuff like that, cause they're in places where there's, 
bears and all sorts. I mean, they're just wildlife galore many times. Um, and, and you think of shows like uh, Naked and Afraid, you know, other like survival shows that if people watch that, they might watch other things. And on some of these other things, there's a, a camera crew, essentially, maybe not there all of the time, but there is, um, you know, someone else that's taking some of these long view shots and things like that. And there was also another, uh, they recently did a show, The Race to Alaska, where it was this like combination adventure and um, uh, like survival thing. It was a bit of a combination of both. And these 10 teams, teams of two were, you know, whoever basically got there first won a half a million bucks. And sometimes you can forget watching this, even though it should be obvious that there's a camera crew filming this. But there was one of the teams where, because, I mean, they're climbing over rocks and all sorts of stuff where they had to take a pause because one of the camera um, crew, like, slipped and kind of injured themselves a little bit. And you, you just forget, like, oh, wait, yeah, there's a camera crew fo- following them actually getting all these shots, which I would imagine when you're seeing bears, like, all over and this wildlife, you know, it probably feels a bit better to have you know, an additional person, there's a, a camera crew that's essentially there. Like the alone thing, there is nobody. I mean, you you are by your lonesome. There's not a single person that you can hear or see. And literally you have bears just all over the place and you're catching fish. Or if you, you know, get some sort of, uh, you know, meat, there are other predators that come try to take it from you. You know, if you happen to get like a little stockpile and stuff. So it's, that's a fascinating thing. I feel like having a cameraman that has to carry <laughs> a heavy camera would be a blessing. If you see a bear or something that wants to eat you guys. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. you have a choice. Man. I can, <laughs> yeah. I could probably run faster than this person. We um, are not taking turns carrying that camera, buddy. <laughs> If I see a bear, I'm gone. But you know what is really fascinating? It looks like this season there is uh, a lot of really skilled survivalists on there. I mean, there are some, uh, it seemed like some really skilled people. And um, of all the times of doing this, you know, 10 seasons, like a, a decade or something like that of people doing this type of stuff. There's no issues that necessarily come up. There's no sort of, uh, I mean, it doesn't mean that a, a bear attack isn't possible. Like, doesn't mean that a shark attack isn't possible. Like, these things are possible, but they're just much less likely than um, than we think. And you, you see that on some of these, uh, whether it's uh, like Life Below Zero or this this season of Alone, like some of these people that are really experienced, where they're actually hunting the bears, like they're actually stalking this bear, and they know that there's essentially nothing to be uh, really fearful of, which is a strange thing because we're we're kind of weak, but... You know, it seems like a, like a lot of times these uh, predators don't necessarily, you know, come after us 
and don't necessarily like see us humans as uh, a nice meal. I mean, it's possible, but they don't necessarily, you know, because I mean, be pretty easy, like go to, you know, someone goes to sleep um, and a wild animal could essentially come up and, you know, have our have our way with our little our little human you know, body and stuff like that. But that's a fascinating thing that um, we're not necessarily seen as, as meals. I'll tell you something even, well, just let's say equally as interesting. I uh, recently watched, uh, what the hell is it called? Chimp Academy. Is that it? Chimp on Netflix. Yeah. Is it Academy? That doesn't sound right. Chimp Empire, not Academy. Yeah. Those guys yeah. are in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I kind of Yeah, I saw a little bit of that. That's I I really I need to get back on that. But Go what's ahead. cool about that cuz he was the the uh, director there. He was on the Joe Rogan experience and he was talking they were talking about how the chimps didn't really notice them at all or didn't really pay them a whole lot of attention now isn't that strange so that that's our closest genetic relative and like these camera people are getting pretty damn close and then like every now and then i think a chimp would get curious but he said that they would never it wasn't like a big deal to have humans just around like they would still socialize they'd still do their thing like can you imagine if we were i don't know just in your house or something with your family and then there were these weird looking things that kind of looked like you kind of smelled like you and they were just like watching you and you just didn't give a shit like you're still gonna like you know take a dump and like (laughs) talk with your family (laughs) did not affect your day at all yeah i find that just crazy and but it's the same way a little bit with these uh bears of if you watch uh like one of these shows like life below zero and they like the bears know that that person is there. Like there's, it's, it's not that they're unaware, but they just don't necessarily bother you. Like they're just going to let you do your thing. They're going to do their thing. Now it doesn't mean that if you don't, you know, if you come trying to take their food or if they are threatened in some way, or if they, you know, we're starving or something like that. It, you know, and I'm sure the same thing with the, uh, you know, chimp empire, there's certain spots and positions. Uh, you know, I heard that episode where they, they, they don't bring any sort of food hmm. in when they're doing the filming and there's certain kind of precautions that they're obviously, um, aware of, but that is a, a fascinating thing where it's just like, yeah, they're just not necessarily bothered by uh yeah just let you do your your thing we're gonna we're gonna do our thing over here so strange man but that that was i I recommend anyone to watch that though because that was fascinating like let alone that little weird bit of information because you do get absorbed into the story kind of like you do i'd imagine with uh, these survival stories where you you just forget that there's camera people there but but um yeah man it's uh chimps are chimps are crazy it's crazy how similar we are to them and then what's what was really disturbing is they uh is what chimps eat monkeys they eat tree monkeys and man Mm. they have scenes on there of the chimps ripping apart these little monkeys and eating them and they're like they're primates right they look like very similar to us and it's it's very hard to watch (laughs) it's very hard to watch a primate eat another primate 
And again, the chimps just didn't really give a shit. Like they, that was just a, that was like a, like a feast for them. It was like, oh, we're going to get some energy together. We're going to go get a monkey. And they just rip the monkey apart and eat it. And, um, and as a human watching that, man, it makes you very uncomfortable. Very strange. Yeah. I didn't get to that part. Um, but I heard them talking about it on the, on the episode you referenced. And I think there was far more. It sounded like to me that there was far more of that going on than what was put into the <laughs> um, documentary, obviously, because it's like you see it once. I'm assuming that wasn't in there like over and over. Oh, God. You'd imagine that was a pretty regular occurrence. Oh, man. Anyways, talking about yeah. monkeys, monkeys eating. No, chimps eating monkeys. And it's yeah. And it's eating them alive as well. I heard. Right. Essentially. Yeah, Essentially, yeah. I think they they basically grab the leg and then they like beat them against a tree, knock them out, and then they just rip it apart. And it's a very wow. It's a very political thing, which is interesting. Who you give food to? So you have you're like the you're the alpha male, and you're ripping this chimp apart, and it's like who you give food to. Every, all the chimps know that they they recognize that, and um and it's a political thing, just like the the grooming, which the grooming is kind of like a conversation. You know, it's very interesting. Like if you see two monkeys grooming each other, they're kind of friends. But then if you see that monkey or you see that chimp grooming another chimp, that's like, quote, quote, your enemy or your rival. That's like a political thing where it's like, oh, you're going behind my back. Are you like, it's just like speaking. It's a God. It's so it's so interesting. Highly recommend that. Yeah. No. Good stuff. But. Let me ask about this, uh, that the meaning of life type of quote. Let me, let me read the whole thing if I could. And, um, fifth of fifth, the, the myth of, of Sisyphus gets into <laughs> it a bit more, but even just from, um, from, from this book, every time I find the meaning of life, they change it. He, he puts this, quote it's an interesting book though he's essentially um reflecting on these quotes that he would put in this little notebook like over the years so like over a couple decades he you know would jot down like you find a particular quote and um and then he's kind of reflecting on it towards the end of his life when he when he wrote this book i think he's in his like uh late 70s or so so it's it's interesting but he says there is only but only one truly serious philosophical problem and that is suicide judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy all the rest whether or not the world has three dimensions whether the mind has 9 or 12 categories comes afterwards like, is that something you, you agree with? Do you generally think of um, whether life is um, worth living as kind of the starting point or the fundamental thing? Yeah, I do. It's not something I consciously think about, but it's something I think that's the spirit of everything we do, right? It's the spirit yeah. of all of our decisions. Is life worth living? Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's relatively easy when, when things are going well for you, 
And then when things are going not so well, and when you're when you're sick, when tragedy strikes, and when you're getting getting close to your deathbed, it's like you know you're kind of you're kind of in 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 an interesting situation where it's like you're not so inclined to believe that life is worth living, right? And it, it's almost like philosophy is for those tragic moments in life. It's like that's what it's for. It's like you look at all these like stoic quotes. It's like you don't have to turn this into anything. That is something you say to yourself yeah. when you feel yourself getting pissed off and you're about to make a big deal out of something that's really nothing, right? Yeah. So like, philo- I think philosophy – I mean, if we all inherently thought that life was worth living and we, we didn't fear death and we were going to live our lives in eudaimonia, if that was the default, we wouldn't need philosophy. And and everyone would have it. You you know you'd have a couple outliers who are into philosophy, which is pretty much the case anyway. But but you'd have a couple outliers that are into philosophy solely because they're different from everyone else. But that's that's not the case. I think the truth is is that we all struggle with that question: Is life worth living? But but when you put it like that, that distinctly, that clearly is life worth living. It's kind of a scary question to ponder directly. So I think we do it indirectly. I think we work around it yeah. in certain ways. And you think it's um, in the way of indirectly? Is it maybe an unconscious type of thing that is essentially running in the background, like getting out of bed and going to do something? Like maybe you don't come at it directly, but it's like the idea of maybe any action is uh, in a way somehow connected to that. It is. Yeah, I I think so. I think it really is. And I think your actions, it's almost like you have to, you know, to get back to the faith thing is I, I think you have to have faith that life is something. You can have faith that life is good. You can have faith that life is bad. You can say perhaps that it's indifferent. But I think the interesting thing about that is that how you structure that opinion, and it is an opinion, it is a belief whether or not you, you want to believe that life is good, it, it actually does change how you show up in the world and it does change how fulfilled you are. Because if you seriously believe that life is crap, man, everything is going to piss you off. You're never going to be able to see the silver lining and you're just going to be miserable. If if you believe dogmatically, maybe even stupidly in, in, in some regards, that life is good, it's like all of a sudden you start looking for that. You start looking for the sunset. You know, you start looking for the sun coming through the, the clouds when it's raining and that sort of thing. And I mean, that's, that's the, the stoic contention that our opinions do, in fact, matter a lot. In fact, maybe they're the only thing that, that really matters. And, uh, and it, and it, it has real implications in the world, which is really interesting. You know what? Sometimes I have a hard time with, or find it confusing, like in a way of nihilism, like say, like in, in a way like for the listeners. So it's like the existentialists will have this perspective that how I interpret it is, uh, you know, that 
life doesn't necessarily have meaning. You essentially have to create it. You know, you create meaningful things and moments and all of this type of stuff, like the existentialist, like existence precedes essence in the way of, you know, we are our choices. We create our, our life. Um, but like, and to me that, that seems like a similar view though, like even the way of, uh, like Victor Frankl and different things. Um, it's, yeah, it's like, you have to like, you know, Victor Frankl says, Hey, don't, don't ask questions about, you know, the meaning of, of life essentially, you know, it's like, you have to essentially create it. You know, you have to like live your life, like say yes to, to life, if you, if you will. Um, but I don't know if it's that much different than in the way of uh, like, even from a Christian perspective, I think of um, something like, say, uh, Augustine. He says like, like, God may supply the wind, but like, remember you have to raise the sails. So it's like, it's still this focus on your own actions. Like essentially, yeah, you, you got to raise the sails. You got to create, you've got to do so many sort of things. Um, Like what's wrong with saying that, Hey, there's like, life doesn't have any, any meaning. Like there is no, um, sort of meaning in life. Like you have to create it. We don't generally talk like that. That sounds like the nihilistic type of view to say that life doesn't have meaning. Yeah. I kind of disagree with the existentialists on this. So I, I think the existentialists are hyper right in that you have to go through the dirt to arrive at something on the other side. So they had this idea that, you know, you get anxious about your death, you get anxious about the tragedy of life. And let's say a, a, a dogmatic religion, their answer to that is, well, you just, you absorb yourself into this philosophy or this this way of life and then you you have full faith into it and then you know all that existential pain and and angst goes away the existentialist said no 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 you have to go through that you you have to walk through that you have to stare deeply into it which i actually think is a, is a christian idea as well but we won't get into that but they had the idea that you have to really look at what fears what what you fear what scares the crap out of you and if you walk through that that valley you arrive on the other side with values with with something perhaps meaning right something that's worth living for my problem with the existentialists is i think sometimes they consider that arbitrary and i I don't think it is i think i think we all have to go through that existential path in some ways to arrive at something on the other side but i don't think that other side is arbitrary i think it's i think that there's a there's there's truth that all of us end up finding at the end of that tunnel. And it's it's very similar. And it might not be the same in the particulars, 
but I do think it's it's the same abstractly. You know, like how sim- we talk about this a lot. How similar is Buddhism and Stoicism? Is Buddhism and Christianity? Is Stoicism and Christianity? Even Islam, it's like Judaism. Judaism. It's like there's so much overlap in these philosophies, and I, you know, it's easy to look at that and and point out the tiny little differences. And we do that all the time. There's podcasts dedicated to that, but there's a if you compare that to the breadth of philosophies that could exist, there's way more overlap than than not. And so I, I think the existentialists yeah. don't they don't address that as as well as I would like. Yeah, I, I completely agree in terms of the o- overlap. It does seem like there are eternal truths and universal type of you know practical wisdom and stuff like that if you will i'm not super familiar with um existentialism i find it a bit um difficult to to understand and there's so many i mean it's basically like this group of of philosophers like some are christian some are atheists some are and they're all kind of lumped in this uh, like soup of of existentialism, but um, like in a way, I, I don't know. I, I think we've chatted about this before as well. So it's like, say the Stoics, for example, like virtue is the only good. Now, like you were just talking, like like that's an opinion, like that's a a view and belief, that's a perspective. Um, I, I think it's a wise perspective. I happen to you know, agree with it. But then again, like other people can take this perspective and that perspective. And, um, I mean, like even across wisdom traditions, like say, um, and, and, and that's where it gets in terms of like the meaning of life thing. So maybe the meaning of life, if you're a Christian is, you know, it's about love of, of God, yourself, neighbor. So, so maybe there is like a thing you could say, like if I'm simply adopting this particular wisdom tradition known as Christianity, this is the meaning of life because that's what, you know, comes down. And maybe you could say the same thing loosely, like as a stoic, you know, this is what it's about. But isn't that part of the creation? Isn't that part of the, because I'm adopting that, like any of those particular traditions, it's a voluntary adoption, you know, that I particularly decide I choose, which the existentialists are talking about, you know, it's about like our particular choices matter. This idea of we're becoming, um, But but what is the nihilist thing? The nihilist thing is that, like, like there is no me. I don't I don't know. Like in the way of um, that's where it kind of gets confusing a little bit in terms of the meaning of life. You don't necessarily like even Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, where in it. He says, don't ask that, you know, he's essentially kind of railing against that a little bit. Same thing like Alan Watts has, you know, stuff where people are railing against that. But of course, that doesn't go for like a good book title. You know, there's no like good book title. There is no meaning 
you know, in life type of thing. But essentially, it seems like to me that like that could be a universal thing. There, there really isn't meaning. It's essentially you have to create it by your, you know, your actions, choices, you know, fill in the blank type of stuff. Is that weird or what? No, I, I think clearly the nihilists are wrong. <laughs> what 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 is it? What makes a nihilist? And I guess I'm not super familiar with. Yeah. It, it, what would make someone it's, that? It's basically that there is no meaning in life. And if there is no meaning in life, then nothing really matters. You can kind of do whatever the hell you want. And to bring in Afterlife, this this wonderful show that I've watched several times and we've spoken about it a few times. His, he, he, was, um, he was married, had met the love of his life kind of thing, and she died tragically young. So he's in the grieving stages trying to deal with this. And he goes through this phase where he he's contemplating suicide. He's contemplating taking his life because he just feels like, well, we didn't have kids and now my wife's gone. So, you know, what 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 is there to live for? And he decides, okay, I don't really want to do that, but maybe I can live life on my own terms. Maybe I can just do whatever the hell I want. And then I can always fall back on suicide if it doesn't work out, right? And so he tried that. And what that looked like in practice was he was really rude to people to make himself laugh. He was was selfish at work and in his social interactions, and he just he just didn't give a shit. Like he he was a nihilist essentially for a short period of time. And what he didn't expect was that that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And you could argue that this is socialization. You could argue that this is biological. Whatever the hell you want to argue, but I think. The reason I say nihilists, nihilists are wrong is because if you actually act that out, everything gets worse. Everything gets worse for you. Everything gets worse for everyone around you because you can't just do whatever the hell you want without any consequences. And you can't, this is the weird thing. It's because like, we talk about opinions or everything, but there's certain things that you can't convince yourself to be happy with, right? Like you can't do whatever the hell you want and then convince yourself that you're going to be okay with that. It's like, there does seem to be this fundamental moral code that's built within all of us. And, and the nihilists simply ignore that as far as I can tell. Yeah. It, this may be a bit of a strange conversation in terms of the listeners, but yeah, anybody new here, it's a, in the way of this paradoxically speaking, it's a bit about exploring some of these, maybe difficult, complex, like exploring, you know, stuff from different sides, like the, the meaning of, of life thing on a, on a deeper level, I guess, if you will. Um, and I honestly, I do think there is something like important to it. Now, some people will say like nihilism, like I love that example of, of the show. Cause that, that really is like the the character. I think that's like a great example to to see it in action. But, but in a way, like sometimes people will say in terms of uh, like philosophy. So it's like, so just like anything goes. And like, yeah, in a way it is in a way like that character, he can be kind of have this like nihilistic attitude and many people in the world do. So yes, life is, yeah, anything goes. Like just because like the Stoics say, you know, virtue is the only good. 
that doesn't mean anything. Like people still have the agency to choose the complete opposite path. You know, so a way it's like, um, I think sometimes we can think in the way of, um, like you were kind of talking about like a little bit there, like the nihilistic type of uh, path has this um, intrinsic like punishment to it. Like there's a natural, like it just doesn't work out well for you, which I get that, you know, I mean, there's certain like a research based type of things. Like it's better to be practice gratitude than ingratitude. But in the way, if somebody's in a group of friends with a bunch of other nihilistic type of behavior, you know, or like, you know, you want to play video games like 12 hours a day or, you know, whatever it may be, or Epicurean path of hedonic pleasure type of stuff. Um, like in a way, people are free to do that. And a lot of times there isn't some sort of uh, like, you know, punishment or some sort of thing that comes from, from anywhere, because sometimes like a person's core views and beliefs, it is, it essentially leads them to do some of these things. And then sometimes like the darkness of whatever, um, you know, people might have a particular core view and belief that essentially leads them towards this and that. So I, I like you and I, when we don't go to the gym, we feel a bit guilty. Probably, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, I don't feel good about that. I'm gonna, you know, make sure I go tomorrow. Not everyone is experiencing that, in my opinion. Obviously, I don't know that for sure because I'm not in. You know, uh, I'm only in my body. I only know my experience. But I would imagine that not everybody is experiencing the same type of. Um, response of guilt or shame or whatever it may be, whatever word you would want to put there over not doing something over creating a particular, uh, committing a particular vice. Yeah, I would, I would agree. You can certainly, let's say do bad and feel good about it. But here's, here's where this gets just fascinating and and really complicated. I don't know how I'm going to explain this, but I'm going to try my best. So if you believe the nihilistic belief that life has no meaning, that's equivalent to saying that, well, nothing you do matters. Nothing you do matters. You do whatever the hell you want. That's also equivalent, I think, and this is where I'm not really sure, but I think that's equivalent to saying life is not good. Life can't be good. It has no meaning. How how the hell can it be good? So if you believe that, that life can't be good, and nothing you do matters, then if you take that belief, that nihilistic belief, sure, you're right. You're not wrong. That's what's cool about it, because if you take the other belief that life is good, life can be good, life can get better, that's equivalent to saying everything you do matters. Everything you do matters. There's nothing, there's no moment in the day where it's like, ah, oh, no, that doesn't matter. If you full-heartedly believe that life is good, everything you do matters. And so we're, we're, all, we're all somewhere on that spectrum, right, between fully committing that everything we do matters and that nothing we do matters. We're somewhere on that spectrum. But here's the interesting thing again. Similar to if you believe that life can't be good, 
if you believe that life is good and it can be good and it can get better, you're right. Life gets better. And so it really, this is where it it just blows my mind because it gets down to belief at the end of the day and, and what you really want. I would still argue that the belief that life is good, I would still argue that that is right. So you can believe that life is bad and live the nihilistic view and you're winning because, well, you're suffering because life isn't good, right? And everyone else is suffering. Well, life isn't good. So I'm winning, right? My philosophy is right. Sure. But I think that's, that's toxic thought patterns. I don't think that is, that is right. And I, and I, and maybe we can talk about that naturalistically, but what do you, what do you think of that? uh, Absolutely. Uh, I I mean, a hundred percent agree in terms of, um, that not being a wiser approach, not, you know, it, it, it being, uh, in, in the way of toxic to, to think in, in that way. But it's just interesting that it's possible to me, you know, not that it's necessary. you know, how, um, like how the world works. It's an important, like philosophical question. It's like, you know, what? how does the world work? And like, sometimes we can have, um, unrealistic things or like a delusional kind of perspective of how the world works in a way, um, in a way like it works that you can have that toxic perspective. You can have like kind of a nihilistic view, nothing matters. Things just can improve. Um, and literally some people have like, you know, that particular perspective, like you mentioned in the beginning of the conversation about not wanting to have kids. I mean, there are people that are like, for many reasons where it's like, they don't want to bring kids into this world because this world is so, you know, quote unquote, fill in the blank with, with whatever. There's probably many, many different um, reasons there, but like, it's interesting to me. And I, I think there is something of, um, a value of knowing that it's a like either one of those are possible. Um, and it's also like probably important. And you and I have like chatted about it like endlessly of like, Oh wow. Like it's possible that I could fall into this particularly mindset, like that I could, you know, get into this mode of thinking that things can improve or, you know, thinking that things don't matter to be a bit more vigilant of no, actually I, I need to remember that, you know, my choices, my actions are important and matter, you know, in terms of creating a life and just remembering like the agency and responsibility uh, piece of things. Cause it's so easy for us to forget, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to get mindless and lost in, in stuff. Yeah, 100%, man. Well said. I think it's just, it's like whatever you believe, it it does matter what you believe. I think like that's the underlying principle here because you bring it into fruition, right? If you're a nihilist and you really, like if you look at that character in Afterlife, like he, he was a nihilist for a bit, didn't work out so well for him. But in his time of nihilism, he was right. He made, he made the world a worse place. It's like he upset people, he was rude, he was arrogant, and most fundamentally, he made himself suffer. Yeah. And again, you can take that belief. Well, life has no meaning. 
So it can't be good. So I'm suffering. Well, guess what? That's that's life. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And you're winning, are you? But are you really winning though? Because you're suffering and everyone else is suffering. And is that really yeah. winning? Yeah. It to me, like as we're talking about it here, you know, it makes me feel maybe even a bit stronger of um the need to like adopt a particular wisdom tradition because it's so difficult to uh, essentially not that it's not possible, but like to create this, how do I want to live type of thing? Um, or to try to do that without reading anything, like say you don't ever kind of pick up a philosophy book or anything like that and just kind of start with a, a sheet of paper. Um, I haven't done that. Maybe that's a good good approach. I mean, I don't think people would be that far off if you're in the right mindset of what, what would be on that paper at the end. But just in the way of um, like cardinal virtues, like adopt, like I'm putting that in my, in my toolkit. Like I'm putting this, we don't have to necessarily in the way of this making meaning and stuff like that. Um, and that's what gets strange to me in the way of the existentialists a little bit of this idea, which I think is really important of we're becoming every day. We're no sort of, we're not like any sort of fixed thing, um, but they're not necessarily for, you know, adopting a particular um set of virtues or set of even even practices you know they're very much um as i've I like asked previous guests on on in search wisdom of coming up with those on your own type of thing of like what works for you which i guess for some people but i don't know i, I do think it's maybe a wiser approach at least to begin with like what's what's worked for others thousands of years well, the problem with that, with that particular route and why the existentialists had issues with that, and remember Nietzsche is, is one of the more famous ones, is because you run the risk of dogma when you do that. So you can you can imagine generations of people just indoctrinating the next generation into this way of life. And what ends up happening there, and this was Nietzsche's concern and the existentialist concern, is that you stop really thinking about some of these things. And so the existentialist view was, no, no, you, you have to go through that existential angst yourself. It's like nobody can just drop a philosophy on you and then you adopt it wholeheartedly. And I think they're half wrong about that. And, and to be fair, Nietzsche did point out quite often, and this often gets overlooked, but he points out often that his way of life, his philosophy probably egotistically, he said it's for like the top philosophers is like for these people that are really into self-improvement, like people who, who are, who feel things really deeply. Like he, he didn't think that that way of life was for everyone. And that's one of those ideas that just gets brushed aside. Right. But, but uh, you know, he had this idea of the Superman, you know, which was like someone who, who, who moves the values of society forward. And to do that, they have to go through that existential crisis. I, and, so, you know, and you, you could argue that, yeah, actually, he's right about that. I think for most people, most people can just adopt a philosophy and, and be completely happy and content in life. And, and over the generations, it might, it might veer towards um, dogmatism. But, you know, you don't need everybody to, to go through that existential crisis and, 
that existential journey. You know, you just you just need a few in a, in a society. No, Nietzsche is like an interesting point, and you're you're far more familiar with him than than I am. But sometimes it, it does seem like um, maybe people are a little overly critical of him. So, like as I interpret it, and and have heard other people interpret it as like, like I said, God is dead. So we were just talking about adopting a particular wisdom tradition. So take these wisdom traditions and it's saying like, hey, this is no longer a thing. Move it off the table. It's like your only choice then, because you have to create it, is this ubermensch type of thing. Like you're creating your own particular philosophy of life. So it's like, like that is it to, to me that from a practical standpoint, it's like you can adopt an existing wisdom tradition. You could potentially, you know, meld aspects of different wisdom traditions, you know, into some sort of thing, some sort of eclectic thing, which Stoicism started started out as essentially. Um, but if those don't exist, like you know, the option is okay, you have to create your own set of principles and practices and all sorts of stuff that you're going to live by. Like what's so alarming about that? And obviously that's probably not a you know great explanation. Like help me out what I got wrong there. Yeah, well, I, I don't know, man. I think maybe we can talk about like an example because I think if you think on hero stories, they're essentially existentialists, right? Like they're, they're born into uh let's take Mulan. Everyone knows the story, the story of Mulan. She's born into a tradition and just does not fit the mold. And so she's going through this, this struggle of, of not being accepted and, and wanting to do something else. That's not, that's not quote, quote, right by her culture standards. Now, most people in her community just took the governing philosophy Okay, the women make tea, the men go off to war, there's no overlap. Most of them just took that philosophy and ran with it and were happy. That's a key point. They were happy with it. Mulan, for whatever reason, was not. So she she was challenged by this and ended up breaking the rules of the tradition, ended up getting exiled. It's like the worst thing that could happen to you. And um, in the end ended up saving her culture. So I think, or at least this is what I'm starting to think based on this conversation, is it's like nature almost creates some existentialists or some people that have to really challenge the current philosophy that their that their community has. Nature creates those so that it doesn't become dogmatic and it doesn't become toxic. And that's where you get into people like Nietzsche who who say no, you have to go through this journey. You have to make your own values. But that's not for everyone. That's just for the people that don't feel content in the culture that they are born into. They, they feel this desire to challenge. And I don't think everyone can be that. And I'm not even, I'm not saying I am. I don't, who the hell knows, right? But, it, but if you look at cultures across history, it's like not everyone was a hero. It's like most people, the vast majority of people just took whatever was said to them as truth and ran with it. And most people were more or less pretty happy with that approach. Some people were not like Nietzsche. Well, let me ask like in the way of 
broadly speaking, like 10,000 foot view, like what's wrong with any of that, you know, of just like, well, that's just how the world works in the way of just, it's, you know, people have like the ability to choose, create, tear down, build, like whatever you say in that's just like the way it is. Like in this book, um, awareness, uh, which covers like a bunch of different, different things. But, uh, Anthony DeMello suggests that like the, the suffering piece of life, you know, it's like the suffering evil, all sorts of stuff, that type of stuff, which connects with, I think this, like the whole nihilism type of stuff and meaning of life. Um, it's like, he says you, you you can't know. It's a mystery. You know, it's just the it's just the way it is. Um and he kind of uses these uh, like he talks in parables and stuff like that. And I'll I'll briefly touch on this parable but uh people could listen to it for more. But it, essentially this um uh big crocodile like gets caught in this um in this thing and this boy come in this like net and this boy comes up and the crocodile gets the, gets the boy by the leg and, and all of, all of this type of stuff. And it's like, and you know, he goes through this dialogue of, of talking and stuff, um, you know, these two, and it's like the crocodile's trying to say, Hey, that's just the, you know, the way life is, it's the way life works. And it's like, Oh, the boy's like, let me ask somebody, he asked this, the bird and, ask this like rabbit, you know, and, and the rabbit is like, well, you, you told that the boy that and he's like, no, uh, well, we got to talk about this, you know, like, let, let, well, let's let go of the, of the boy. Let's have a conversation here. And he's like, oh, the crocodile's like, oh yeah. Yeah. Then I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like you're a clever one. And, um, uh, I, I guess I am going to be long, long here. I almost need to expound it out to say it, but, uh, Essentially, he says, like, yeah, you got to let go of him. Like, you know, if he tries to run, like, one slash of your tail, and, you know, the boy will be dead. And um, long story short, he ends up letting go of them, and the rabbit's like, run! You know, and the boy runs and and gets away and stuff. And um, the story continues, and it's like, this rabbit says, hey, don't you like Crocodile? Like he's still caught in that net a little bit. Why don't you go get your village? You know, and it's like, so they go eat the crocodile. Everyone comes down and and gets them. And then the boy's dog chases the rabbit and ends up, you know, throttling the, the rabbit. And it's like, you know, at the end of this whole story and the boy is like, oh, wow. It's like the crocodile was right. Like this is, you know, how the world works in the way of this nature thing. And, you know, it maybe connects with, uh, you know, the chimps story that you talked about. Yeah. It's like, wow, brutal in the, in the way of this like nature stuff. And it's kind of a brutal world in a way. It's like brutal and beautiful and how do you make sense the fact that, you know, this village comes down and kills this crocodile and, you know, eats this crocodile and, you know, these chimps go do that and the, 
the darkness and the evil in the world. Um, it's like, I don't know, just like seeing it as like, you, you can't really know any sort of like, how do you make sense of that? You know? And it's like, we get, we have the ability to essentially all choose and there's like nothing we can do for the most part about the choices that other people make. It's like the, the existentialists talk about this thing of, uh, which is so important. It's like agency, freedom, possibility, like creation, but also it's respecting the agency, freedom, and possibility of others to essentially go down whatever path they decide. You know, it's like that the meaning that they make, like, yes, there is a eternal truth, like there is a, a wiser, potentially, like, response. Um, but then again, it's like, you know, everybody gets to essentially like create that meaning and like the meaning that, that other people, I don't know. It, it gets a bit strange, but I, for some weird reason, I, I think it's important in daily life to understand um, that it's like each person creates like the, the meaning, which like go back maybe a couple layers and it's like, opinions, perspectives, like perceptions and views, beliefs and stuff like that, that shape that meaning um, is like, I don't know, it, it feels uh, paradoxical in a way. It feels like one of those tightrope type of things. That was a great story. I never heard that before. Just kind of shows. Oh, like, I, I totally butchered it, the, but, the, <laughs> but you get the point though. Yeah, yeah, that poor... Poor rabbit, that poor crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, and you raise an interesting point, though, because, you know, you're talking about, well, we all have this ability to choose, and you have to respect that each and every other person is on that same journey. I think, I think, yes, as long as you're not a nihilist. Because the problem, the, the thing, the idea is, okay. I want to flourish. I want nothing more than to be happy, to have meaningful work, to have good relationships in my life, to be healthy. And every single person on the face of this planet can say that, right? Like we all want pretty damn close to the same thing, if not the exact same thing. But that's all predicated on the belief that people can fundamentally flourish. And that's predicated on the belief that life is inherently good. So if you believe, like the nihilists do, that life has no meaning, that life is just inherently, sh it's just shit, you're messing up everyone else's chances to flourish. And that's the problem with nihilism. That's why the character in Afterlife, it wasn't like, oh yeah, no, you, I'll give you your chance. You can practice Buddhism if you want. No, it's like, no, I'm going to be rude to you because it makes me laugh. And I'm an nihilist, so I don't really give a shit. Life has no meaning anyway. I'm not happy. No one should be happy. No one can be happy. Life is shit. And so, yeah, completely agree with what you said there. Um, but you do have to believe, I think, that life is inherently good, which I think people tend to do. 
mostly, but we all have a little bit of a nihilist in us, I think as well. Yeah. And it's, it's just complicated in a way of, um, you know, like maybe we have different seasons uh, of things, you know, when you, when you think of, uh, like the afterlife, uh, character, it's like, he's a nihilist. Well, like from another perspective, you could say like, he's in a lot of pain. He's a person that's really experiencing a lot of grief. Like he's extreme, you know, for anyone that hasn't seen it, like he's lost the love of his life. You know, his best friend, his wife dies and he's essentially in dealing with all sorts of grief from this and going through this stuff. And maybe that's a natural thing. I, I haven't experienced that, you know, the grief of, of losing a spouse. Um, but so many people have, you know, it's like maybe the, that inherent goodness of life, maybe it's natural for it to get some cracks in it, you know, to be shook up a bit when, when something like that, uh, happens. Probably. I mean, I, yeah. you might have to go through that existential journey more than once. Right. Yeah. Like we all have these periods. Like, like I, you can imagine a, a scale of zero nihilism to full dedication, full belief that life is good and everything you do matters. And like, we're all on that. And it's like you said, we have these phases of our life where we tend to be a bit more nihilistic and we have phases of our life where we tend to, we're all in man. Like we're, we're getting up early. We love our, we love our work. We love the people we spend time with. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think it, eb- it ebbs and flows through the cycles of life. Sometimes through, through a daily or weekly basis. Like sometimes you, sometimes I, I think that you, you just got to have those, there's dark, dark thoughts sometimes, like maybe once a week and then you're back on track for the rest of the week. It's like a cheat day on the, uh, <laughs> on the belief that life is that. good, right? I was thinking you're like putting it on the calendar. Like, what do you, what do you call that? <laughs> it's on the to-do list every Sunday. Yeah. Um, the, uh, that's, that's funny. Um, that inherent goodness though, like, I don't know. Isn't it, uh, wise to like to tie that inherent goodness in the way of, um, like actions, like virtue is the only good. Like I'm thinking, you know, essentially you can create a heaven on earth, if you will. Like, I mean, you can really thrive and, and flourish in the way of somebody that is truly embodied, like, you know, what whatever it may be, love, virtue is the only good type of thing, a real beautiful experience. Um And vice, you know, the opposite of that as well. But this in terms of uh, like inherently good, it's um, could be good or could be bad. In a, I mean, those are both subjective in a, in a way, I guess. But you could say there's some, you could be objective about, about those. Um, but then it, it's possible, you know, it's like it's, it's possible, which we can easily forget of uh you know what we're what we're capable of and what's possible for us to create in life. Well that's the thing though is that whatever you believe to be true becomes true. 
That's the paradox. It's like if you believe life is shit, life gets shittier. If you believe life is good, life gets better for you and for everyone else. That's the strange thing. So no nihilists aren't wrong per se. I think it's flawed thinking. Yeah. I think it's toxic thinking, but they're not wrong because they believe that life is shit and they act that out in the world and life gets worse. So how could we say they're wrong? I just don't think it's helpful. I think there's a better alternative. And I think I think this gets right down to, you know, our biology and our naturalistic view that we we want to live productive lives and we want to pass on our genes to the next generation and we want a legacy. And I think all that ties in with this fundamental belief that, yeah, life is actually worth living. Yeah, it really is. And I, I honestly, I hope anyone listening can walk away with that, you know, of, um, I'd hate to like explore a bit of both sides of that type of stuff and anyone walking away feeling that it's not worth living because it truly, truly is like, I mean, we, uh, just to like say it again, I mean, it's absolutely worth living. Like we all, even though it's can be tough sometimes to, to realize and the, and the same thing like that character in afterlife can be difficult based on whatever might be going on. Sometimes real difficult things like the loss of a spouse or whatever it may be, but still like in spite of all that, it's worth living, you know, some sort of reminder that it's like our, our choices matter, like our mindsets uh, or, you know, our, our attitude, what we, what we put into practice in, in daily life, each little thing, you know, it, it, it does matter. Man, I would like to read you a Dostoevsky quote that I texted you. Oh, please do. I texted you this months ago, but I think it really ties. Sorry, I think it really ties in with uh, what we were talking about here. Well, good. Let's wrap it up with that. Okay, here we go. I believe, like a child, that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Dostoevsky. Love it. Your boy Dostoevsky. My man. That's a, that's a great way to wrap it up. Listeners, paradoxically speaking, on Substack, hit it up. Go join. Go look. See what's on there. There's a few things on there. <laughs> there will be a few things more, we promise. And uh, every, hope you're enjoying Every the show. other week, though, you can count on a new episode, paradoxically speaking, every other Monday, um, spread the word. Yeah, tell everybody. Maybe share it with a friend. Definitely. Actually, that is, I'll tell you, there's two great things you can do for us. You can leave us a review and you can share it with a friend. And obviously, if you want to stay connected with what Brandon and I are up to, uh, the Strong Stoic podcast, In Search of Wisdom. Um, so quite a bit, definitely uh, more than... What are you like? You're coming up on like 300 episodes or some sort of crazy type of stuff like that. And uh, 
yeah, like a, over 100 episodes of In Search of Wisdom. So lots of stuff out there. Hopefully you found something uh, useful for daily life. Love it, man. Until next time.